Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life, where today we are about to embark on a podcast that I did not want to be recording today. The Jets fall to 4-8 and eight on the season after losing to the winless Cincinnati Bengals in what's supposed to be one of the easiest games of the entire year, one of the easiest games left on the schedule. As the Jets are one of the hottest teams in the league on a three-game winning streak. We go into this one after beating the Raiders, after beating the Redskins and Giants, and we go up against the Cincinnati Bengals, and we lay an egg. And the team played horrible all game long. It was absolutely pathetic from top to bottom. We couldn't compete with that team. We couldn't stop Andy Dalton well enough. We couldn't get anything going on offense. We couldn't get any big chunk plays, penalties, issues all across the board. We weren't trying to do stuff. The list is endless. But at the end of the day, the New York Jets fall to 4-8. and eight. And so hopes of the playoffs, hopes of a big winning streak, hopes of going on a five-game winning streak, running into the Baltimore Ravens, all of those have died. A little bit has died in all of us inside. Because this team is not going to the playoffs. This team is not very good. Four and eight, we were able to convince ourselves for a while, and that's what it's all about. How long can you convince yourself? Can you get to the playoffs, convince yourself that you're good enough to maybe make the Super Bowl? It, it always ends. For the Jets, it ended way too soon. Got back on a little bit of a streak, a little bit of fool's gold going on, and now here we are, 4-8 and eight after losing 22-6 to six to the Cincinnati Bengals. And I said before the podcast, I want to just remind everybody, we went into this thing, Ryan Finley had been the quarterback for the last few weeks, playing really bad. He was a backup that was drafted this year, not playing well for the Bengals. And the idea was that we were going to go in and play against him, and Greg Williams, who usually feasts on young quarterbacks, was going to go up against Finley, make his life hell. We were going to absolutely shut down the Cincinnati Bengals. It was going to look like the Redskins offense did with Dwayne Haskins out there. And the Jets were going to be able to move the ball, do enough on offense to win this game. Now we found out news before the game that Andy Dalton was going to be starting. And instantly you start wondering, all right, this isn't this isn't going to be as easy as we thought it was, is it? Like, this isn't Ryan Finley back there. This isn't the guy that you can just tee up on, confuse the hell out of, and throw everything but the kitchen sick at him. He's never seen it before. Andy Dalton, he's a veteran. He's been in this league for a long time. He's got way more success in his career than Sam Darnold has had. He's done way more, way more accomplishments than anything Sam Darnold has ever done. Anybody, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Geno Smith, Josh McCown, Mark Sanchez, find any of those Jets quarterbacks. Andy Dalton has more success than any of them. And so, we play against him. It's not enough. It's just not enough what the New York Jets bring. And Andy Dalton, he plays one of his better games. He comes in this thing fired up. What do you expect? The guy got benched for a rookie. You know he's got something to prove. He's going to play harder than he's played all season, probably. You know, it was a winless season that was kind of trending down for the Bengals. Not much to play for, but all of a sudden you get benched, and you're wondering, how many more years do I have in this league? How many more contracts am I going to get? Am I about to get replaced or have to move? And you have to play a little bit harder. So the Ryan Finley experiment failed. We were the uh, unfortunate, well, I guess, benefactors or, or the recipients of an Andy Dalton return game. And... What can you say? He played well enough to win the game, and the Jets did not play well enough to win this game. Horrible. All facets of the game. New York Jets, absolutely putrid, pathetic performance across the board. Coaching, players, special teams, defense, offense, you name it. Not good enough. 
The Bengals, they didn't even play that well. This was one of those games that was just so forgettable, top to bottom, no matter what you saw out there. It just wasn't very impressive. Every play felt like you, it felt like you were watching the same five plays over and over, and none of them were exciting or interesting. No long gainers. They were just bad penalties at the wrong time. It, it, it was a mess, and I got to talk about it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be sitting back and reliving this thing. I don't want to talk about why the Jets have failed, why we're not going to make the playoffs now, but we got to do it. It's part of this podcast. When we signed up for this, as being Jets fans, we knew what we were getting into, and it's not always easy. But you know what? There are better days ahead, so we're going to, you know, just not right now. This just isn't one of them. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but first, as always, got to remind you, if you like this podcast, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to it, this podcast can be found on a ton of things. There's like more and more podcast platforms coming up every single day. I never even heard of half of the ones that I'm on. And people are like, did you know that you're on CastBox? It's like, no, I didn't know I was on CastBox. I don't know what a CastBox is, but if it's there, hopefully it's good. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for more Jets stuff throughout the week. Random thoughts and opinions that I have. And then, as always, these episodes are posted onto GangGreenNation.com, which is a subsidiary of the SB Nation podcast platform. Find the episodes there. I write a little bit of a, I write a little short article thing, a paragraph or two about each one, post the episodes, and then people engage in the comments and everything. So whatever you got, feel free. Check out the site. Other articles on there are good as well. Just, uh, you know, be warned that at a time like this, a little bit of pessimism going around the fan base. And I'm going to be guilty of it as well. I try not to be, but today's just one of those days. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a quick intro recap of the game, talk to coaching. We're going to do a little what's on tap, talk team stats, player performances. I got a father time for this one, preview the Dolphins. And yeah, that's about it. I honestly plan to keep this podcast pretty short. And I know. Inside joke for all of you that listen to this podcast regularly is that I always say I'm going to try to keep this podcast episode short, especially after a loss, and I never do. I say it's going to be short, under an hour, maybe 50 minutes. It ends up being an hour 15, hour 20, and it's like, haha, Dan, it's never shorter. But in reality, this week, it's going to be. I watched one of the most flat New York Jets teams I've ever seen on both sides of the ball. We came into this game on a three-game winning streak where we should have tons of excitement, tons of reason to play well, and instead... We were the fools in a trap game that had four more losses than us, a better quarterback than we've got currently right now. And we come out in this game, and it felt like the Jets didn't prepare for it at all. It felt like they went into this one and said, well, we're better than the Bengals. We just beat the Raiders and the Redskins and the Giants. We can beat the Bengals, no problem. It felt like they didn't prepare. It felt like they weren't excited. And they didn't give anything in this game from what I've seen in the past three weeks. Nowhere near the amount of energy, the effort across the board. And so I'm not going to do it either. I'm not going to sit here and watch a team give 70% on a football Sunday and then come in here and give 100% on a podcast. These things take work. Doing a podcast take time. I know you just think I sit in here and just talk in this guest bedroom of my rented house and just blabber for an hour and a half. And that's basically what I do. But it does take preparation. And, you know, you got to have all your facts together and your stats and your numbers and the points you want to talk about. It's a lot for a person with ADD like me to keep this whole thing on track in any sort of semblance that it does. And I'm not going to put it all out there today. I'm going to mail it in a little early and save it for another week, just like the Jets did. It was absolutely pathetic. And, you know, this game started. We're playing in Cincinnati, and there was, like, nobody at the game at all. I've never seen a more empty stadium 
and I've watched LA teams play many times. And this Bengals stadium was empty. And the game started, and I think it was my dad who was watching it, and it was like three minutes into the game, he was like, this doesn't even feel like a football game. This feels like a preseason game or another league or something weird, like a practice game. Because nobody seemed into it. The players, there was like no noise. It was silence. We had, obviously, the, the D, E, or F squad for the announcers. They didn't do a horrible job. Archuleta's fine. Sparrow DDs is fine. Whatever. But it just, nobody was fired up. Nobody on the Jets was, you know, I don't want them celebrating in a cocky way. I don't want them slamming their helmets or having temper tantrums or anything. But there didn't feel to be any emotion for a team that had so much to play for. Like, you have the chance to do something special and go on a run and have that game against the Ravens and, and you know, be one of these better teams in the league and trend upwards. And instead, you're going to come out here, act like you've already won the game, give about 70% and fall flat. Do the same thing as coaches, players, everything. I don't want to throw people under the bus. Jamal Adams got injured in this game, but I watched him on a few blitzes specifically, went back, and said, like, what's he doing there? He was given 70%. You see him going after the quarterback, he's not sprinting. He's not that usual Jamal Adams where he's just crawling through the ground, ripping through people trying to get to the quarterback. He didn't even seem interested in getting there. The players couldn't catch. The offensive lineman wouldn't block. Le'Veon Bell, you know, you're going to run him up the middle over and over again, and it's going to drive you crazy. If you're going to run up the middle, every once in a while, maybe just run straight forward. Maybe just try to barrel through a person, put a shoulder down. Why does he constantly feel the need to stop and dance behind his offensive lineman? Yes, I understand that's his trademark thing. A lot of times it works. But you know what? Sometimes as a running back, when you're running up the middle, you just got to get there. Sometimes the hole's only open for half a second. And when you stop and wait and look, you're looking for a different hole, not the one that was designed. And when you do that, it becomes a somewhat broken play. And I'm not going to complain because I love Le'Veon Bell. I love what he does. It's just he runs the exact same style of way almost Every single play. And we consistently call the same up-the-middle run play over and over in this game, and it drives you crazy. But at least as Bell, do something different. Maybe try a different way of, of doing it. I'm going to go really fast this time. This time I'm going to pause, maybe bounce to a different hole. This time I'm going to use my blocker, wait till he gets his leverage, push off him. I mean, you don't have to just take three steps forward, come to a complete stop, and then look around, and then take one or two steps forward after that you could technically just get the ball and run anyways I don't want to I don't want to bash him because he's one of the few guys that actually plays hard on every single play but it just it just wasn't it was it was the weirdest home field advantage you've ever seen it's like there's nobody cheering you feel like if they were at least in New York maybe they wouldn't be playing well but the fans would be booing and maybe it would like inspire some sort of emotion that could it may end up hurting you, but maybe it'll get people fired up. At least it's going to be different. In this one, there was no reason to change anything. You didn't feel like anybody was even watching the game. Are these players even invested in this game right now? On either side of the ball, even the Bengals were like minimally invested in it, playing way better than we were. And it just, it wasn't good. So that's kind of the scoop with that. We got a lot of stuff to get to still. Um, I'm going to move on to the coaching because that was one of the biggest issues in this one. Adam Gase, another another bad game of coaching. Um, the big lack of adjustments is the real thing, is that it felt like we were doing the same plays over and over. We weren't getting other people in there. Uh, a lot of people want Adam Gase fired. I've said that we should get a different head coach. I still believe that there are better coaches out there than Adam Gase, that for the future of Sam Darnold, for the future of the New York Jets, it would be in our best interest to get a better coach than Adam Gase. 
and not allow Adam Gase to mess up Sam Darnold especially. You want to have the perfect guy in there for Sam Darnold because you only have, you know, you only have one rookie quarterback to mold, one second-year guy who's, like, still malleable and everything. Eventually, he just is either broken or set in his ways or he's already become this style, whatever it is. You know, he's more malleable and shapeable now than ever. So you want to make sure you have the right guy there. I don't think Adam Gase is as good as it gets. I think that, you know, he's an offensive guy. He's a creative dude. He's he's supposed to work with the offensive players. He's supposed to be like a, a quarterback whisperer of sorts. So it's better than having like a Todd Bowles there because Todd Bowles wouldn't be engaged with them at all. It's better than having like a Jeremy Bates or somebody who doesn't really know what's going on. But it, it's just, you know, we could get a better guy. Now, the, the issue is that all the fan base right now is just saying, fire Adam Gase, fire Adam Gase. And they're just treating it like, all right, the Jets aren't winning. It's all his fault. If we got rid of him, we'd be good. we got to stop for a second and say, are we serious? If we got rid of Adam Gase today, the New York Jets are winning these games? Is the issue that Adam Gase is the head coach and he's the one that's talking to these players and he's prepping them for the games? Or is the issue that we don't have an offensive line, that we don't have cornerbacks, that all of our inside linebackers are injured? I'm not saying that with those players back with a slightly better roster, Adam Gase is the perfect coach. What I'm saying is it doesn't all fall on Adam Gase. It's easy to blame him because he's the guy whose name we know, right? The offensive line isn't, well, it's it's Adam Gase. He's got to do that. We have a running backs coach. We have an offensive line coach. Nobody wants to talk about those people because in reality, we don't know enough about it. And I'm guilty of this as well. I can't tell you what our offensive line coach does compared to the offensive line coach of the Denver Broncos compared to the Saints offensive line coach. I can't tell you exactly what every single one of our offensive linemen is supposed to be doing, what his skill set is and how to play best. You know, what is Alex Lewis truly best doing in a zone scheme or moving or shifting? I can't tell you all that stuff because I'm not there. And in reality, none of us are. And none of us really know what's supposed to be where. We just know that this is what we have right now. And the guy at the top of the whole thing is Adam Gase. So it's easy to blame him. But you get rid of him tomorrow and you think we're a better team. You think that our offensive line now plays well? You think that you fire everybody and you get somebody else in here? That's the same mentality that we had when we got rid of Todd Bowles. It was like, well, the next guy will be good. Todd Bowles is the bad guy. He can't coach in-game. You know what? Adam Gase is a better in-game coach in terms of calling timeouts and situational, like, reading the clock, clock management, challenges and stuff. Probably better than Todd Bowles was. But he doesn't get any credit for that because that doesn't help you win games either. But when Todd Bowles is doing it wrong, it's like, well, we got to get a guy who can actually do this. Think of how much it's costing us. That's not the issue. That's not why it's costing us. You look through these. I was going through coaches, and I'm like, you know, Adam Gase is getting a bad rap right now. And I, I'll, I'll be clear still. I think that Adam Gase could be better. I think that we could have a better coach than him. But to say that he is the reason that all this is falling apart is absolutely asinine. I'm looking through coaches, and I'm looking through Bill Belichick. He was a coach for five years before the New England Patriots. A lot of us forget that. A coach for the Cleveland Browns. He had a worse record in five years with the Cleveland Browns than Adam Gase has in his entire career. Bill Belichick went five years, had one winning season, and won less than 45% of his games. Adam Gase right now, at this point in time, has won 46% of his games. So more frequently, you would watch Bill Belichick for five years lose than Adam Gase. Is that all on Bill Belichick? Does that mean he's a bad coach? So Bill Belichick leaves. He goes to the Patriots. In his first year with the Patriots, they go 5-11. and 11. So worse than 33% win percentage. Wow, he's a really bad coach. And then out of nowhere, apparently he'd been a horrible coach for forever, winning about 40% of his games. And then out of nowhere, he won a Super Bowl the very next year. He became a great coach overnight. 
That's all there was to it. Actually, the real story is they got a quarterback in there who was able to win games. They found the right pieces for their unit. It took time, but all of a sudden the stars aligned and they were able to ride with it. And from there, the rest is history. He's been obviously superb through the rest of his tenure with the New England Patriots. Now, we're not comparing Adam Gase to Bill Belichick, but Bill Belichick was an absolute failure of the league. An absolute failure. Is it because he didn't know how to coach? Is it because he didn't know how to read a defense? He didn't know how to call plays or how to coach talent? No, it's because he didn't have the right horses, the right pieces. And eventually when he did and he got them, he hasn't looked back. Take a look at Bill Parcells, one of the best coaches I can think of in my lifetime. His first two years with the New York Giants, he went 12-19, and 19, 37% winning. All right, so he leaves there. He goes to the New England Patriots. His second stint, after more than 30 games of coaching, losing tons of them, why don't we try it out with the Patriots? He coaches for 64 games there and an even 500 record. Just slightly better than Adam Gase. Was he a bad coach there? He didn't know what he was doing? Because he ended up coming to the Jets doing a darn good job. He did a good job for the Cowboys, too. The hand he had in the Dolphins was good. He's, he's one of the better coaches this league has seen. Everybody knows he's a genius. He understands players. He knows how to get the most out of them. But it's like just to, to go by these sample sizes and see a team and watch them do poorly and then just point to one person and say, well, that's the issue, is just a cop-out for not understanding what's happening. Adam Gase can be improved. I don't like the adjustments that he makes. I think that we could potentially use our talent better. I would like to... I'd like to try new players. I'd like to be more Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, you know, Bill O'Brien style where you start moving pieces more, maybe not because they're injured. You just bring, we're going to try this offensive lineman. We're going to try this wide receiver pairing. We're going to try some different things at linebacker and vice versa. Adam Gay seems to be kind of stagnant on that. He's, he seems to bring players in when they get injured. But other than that, it's like, the same pass rushers for the same. If you look at the percentages of snaps, it's like Frankie Louvu never gets snaps. Brandon Copeland always gets 40%. Jordan Jenkins gets 60 to 65%. It's like the same thing every game. And when you're this bad four and eight, it's like maybe let another guy try. Maybe he's not great in practice, but guys can come out and play better in game. Give him a chance to like start getting something going, try something new. So I think like for those things, it makes sense to get a different coach. But just to sit back and just say that if it's a different person, we're going to be good. Or have some coach from college who's done this at a totally different level, he'll come to the NFL and he'll be great. I've seen so many coaches highly regarded do terrible. Hugh Jackson. I've seen tons of coaches that are supposed to be horrible do an amazing job. Pete Carroll coming back to the NFL. It just, it really tells the story that what it comes down to is coaching. But it also comes down to organizational leadership. It comes down to the draft. It comes down to the players on your roster. Injuries. How the chips fall. There's a million things. And having Adam Gase as our head coach or not a head coach next year does not in any way mean that we will or won't be successful. That we will or won't win more games than we win this year. Hitting on a draft? Hitting on five, six really good players in the draft and staying healthy for a year? Yeah, that'll make us a much better team. Getting rid of Adam Gase doesn't make us a better team tomorrow. But anyway, that is enough about that. That's just uh, Adam Gase going. Defensively, Greg Williams, he had one of his weaker games of the season coaching. You know, he's been really good. I think what the issue in this one was we don't have great pass rushers. 
We know that. We don't have middle linebackers that can cover, really. And we, frankly, don't have very good cornerbacks. I know we've been excited about Arthur Mollette, about Blashawn Austin. But in this game, we had injuries going up. Brian Poole. We had Arthur Mollette injured twice in this game. We were playing Maurice Kennedy. I mean, when it comes down to it, regardless of how excited you may be or not be about Blashawn Austin and Arthur Mollette, they've not been in the league for very long. They've not played many snaps. They're still very, very young. They have a ton to learn. Nobody's just great after three games and has seen it all. We know what to do. It's like, he's playing well for where he is, Sean Austin, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to do it for a long time and get better. But when it came down to it, you know, my worry before this whole game was that Andy Dalton was going to be able to pick on them, pick us apart. And and the issue in this one was Greg Williams knows he doesn't have great cornerbacks. He doesn't have great pass rush and stuff. And he tries to hide it all behind a zone defense. He doesn't do a ton of man because when you play man against a wide receiver and you're young, not very good, you get exposed, especially when a quarterback has time. If you've got four or five seconds to throw in the pocket, it's almost impossible to cover in man. The New York Jets are going to have to do that, and it's going to be with young cornerbacks. So what do you do? You go to a zone, you try to disguise it in different ways. But at the end of the day, you try different you know, zone coverages and things to get guys in the right position. Now, Andy Dalton's been a quarterback for a very long time. We saw him break the, or at least tie the record for most passing touchdowns in Bengals history, and they've had some good quarterbacks over there. And he came into this game, and he was able to find the same soft spots in the zone, the same seams, and the same sideline passes over and over again, and the Jets weren't able to cover it because that style of defense works really, really well against a young quarterback, against somebody who's frazzled and doesn't know exactly what they're doing. But when you play against a guy like Tom Brady, like we saw, we got picked apart. When you play against a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, we saw we got picked apart. When you play against a guy like Andy Dalton, you get picked apart because you can't band-aid those things well enough against a good quarterback who's not getting pressured. He'll find the spots. And he did. Greg Williams has done a very good job of masking it. You can do that against, you know, Dak Prescott, Baker Mayfield. We were able to do it against Dwayne Haskins relatively well enough against Daniel Jones. Derek Carr, still young, kind of inexperienced, doesn't really know what he's doing still. But these guys that, that have it, and truly understand the game, know what they're doing, they've seen it all, those are guys that we don't do so well against. So it's kind of on him. It's kind of like finally for the first time we were, well, for the first time in a while, we were exposed as having what we have and and just not quite having the, the players to run the defense that maybe we'd like to be able to do. We can't just switch to man in that game and give Andy Dalton five seconds in the backfield to throw to uh, Arthur Mollette covering, you know, Auden Tate for five seconds. It's just not going to happen. Stride for stride with the dude. And then Dalton's going to find him. He's going to throw those deep balls. He's going to find his guys. Dalton was throwing high all game. Wasn't super accurate, but it was a good enough game to win it. Run defense for the Jets was still awesome in this one. So credit to Greg Williams there. But somehow, like, it felt like Joe Mixon had way more than 44 yards. It felt like he probably ran for 120 yards because he was just getting, like, big chunk carries. It was always at weird times that he was getting six, seven, eight-yard runs. You didn't think that he would, and we're so used to just bottling everybody up on every single play. It was just like, hey, what is he doing? How's he getting up there? But he ended with 44 yards. I was like, you know, are you really that upset? Not great. We gave up 22 points. Wasn't a horrible job by the defense, but they're they're not a super offense. Andy Dalton helps, but still, O-line struggles. Joe Mixon's all right. Receivers, they don't have A.J. Green, so, you know, a little hindered there. Should have done better. I think the real thing here was the defense of the Bengals is bad, and we should have been able to capitalize on that more. I mean, I came into this thing thinking we were going to score 34 points. Le'Veon Bell was going to get 100-plus rushing yards. We were going to throw three, four touchdowns. We didn't even get one touchdown in the whole game. We didn't even get into the red zone in this game. 
That's not very good. That's what I got to that. Let's move over to the cooler where I'm drinking today. Oh, you know it. Pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is the segment called What's on Tap where I talk about the beer or beverage that I'm currently drinking while recording this episode. And today I have what is called Storm Along Light of the Sun. Storm Along is an American hard cider. It is said to be hopped cider with citra, equinot hops, and guava. It's 6.5% alcohol, comes in a 16 fluid ounce can. It's like got a nice, pretty sort of uh, can label on it, pinks and greens and oranges. This is not my beer. I came home. I didn't know what I was going to drink. I've, I've been drinking a lot of my beers recently, didn't have much, and this is girlfriend Shannon's. I saw it, and I was like, oh, I've never reviewed this one. May I please try it? And she said yes. So here I am drinking this. This strange cider with citra, equinot hops, and guava. It's supposed to be tropical, crisp, and refreshing, described as being dry to medium dry. And it is dry, and that's my style of cider. I'm noticing on the back that it says gluten-free, which uh, Girlfriend Shannon is in this big gluten-free kick and trying to kind of pull me into it too, which is a very weird scenario because we want to eat together and do those things, but she's getting these things. I don't know if you've ever heard of chick chickpea pasta it's basically what you make hummus out of and they're making pasta out of it now and it's this pasty awful noodle shaped thing that you put sauce on and it's supposed to trick you into thinking it's pasta it doesn't fool anybody and she's trying to get me to do these things she can tell me i'm gonna feel better i don't even want to risk feeling better by not eating or drinking gluten because then i'm gonna be in that predicament where it's like shoot now i gotta stop eating bread and i gotta no more beer so it's like if this if i'm used to living the way that i am even if i'm just like it's 70% all the time, but I'm used to it. Then, like, I, let me just, ignorance is bliss, exist where I am. Um, unfortunately, this is one of those gluten-free advocated drinks that she's been buying. But Storm Along, Light of the Sun, hard cider, is pretty good. It tastes like a Granny Smith apple peel, kind of a dry cider. If you were to just, like, peel a Granny Smith apple and then pulp it up, take that as a shot, that is what each one of these swigs tastes like. So I guess that's good because it's not too sweet, and I don't want one that's super sweet. It's 6.5% alcohol, and it hides it well. 16 ounces. It's probably super expensive. You can tell, like, with the can and everything that they feel really high about their brewery and about their cider. And they're going to charge you an arm and a leg because this is the best. They do these little pictures and stuff on the back. It's just got that sort of, like, aura to it. Not a bad way. I mean, a little bit, but not really because whatever. It's good. But uh, probably a pretty penny. So thank you, girlfriend Shannon. Storm along light of the sun cider is what's on tap today. And it's not really helping. I thought that drinking would help me cope with the Bengals loss. It's Tuesday. Tuesdays are usually a day that I'm still upset. Wednesdays, I kind of start to come out of my funk. I've not gotten there yet. Maybe Wednesday I will come out of the funk. Um, Just still in that, like, wow, that really happened mode. We really just played the Bengals and did a horrible, horrible job for four quarters. And came out and gave nothing, no energy, no hype, nothing. Really, really lame. And in spirit of that, here's a commercial. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. Now we're going to talk about team stats in this game. And against the Bengals, you'd think it would look pretty darn good. 6-22, to 22, I'll be honest, the stats are better than you'd think. It looks almost even when you look at it on paper. You're like, eh, maybe the Jets didn't lose this one too badly. But there were a few absolutely alarming stats. 
There are a few things that we always talk about. Time of possession is one of them. The Jets lost this one by three minutes, 28 to 31. We only got one sack in the game. They sacked us four times. Third down efficiency is something that I've been preaching. We got to get to 50% or better, at least for a game. When you're playing the horrible Bengals, the 31st ranked defense in the entire NFL, find a way to be over 40% or over 50%. And the Jets, again, for I think the third week in a row, are at 41% on 7 of 17. And in this game, like, we had a decent amount of third down conversions, I guess, seven of them in this game. And when you look at the drives, it was like a mix between three three and outs or four play drives and punting the ball. And then it was a bunch of like eight, nine, 10, and 11 play drives. But almost all of them, it would be like nine plays, 30 yards, 10 plays, 29 yards. It's like, why, how are you doing 10 plays getting 29 yards? Because like, it's, it's eight feet forward and then... 10 yards back because you get a penalty and then 15 yards forward and five yards back from a penalty, which brings us to penalties. The New York Jets in this game had 10 penalties after having just four last week and a win against the Raiders. The Jets come out with an abysmal 10 penalties, double digits for 106 total penalty yards, triple digits. That is as bad as it gets five digits in that, in that category, 10 and 106. It should be three. Should be like four penalties for 30 yards. It's unbelievable. The Bengals in this game, two total penalties for 15 yards. We had 90 more penalty yards than the Bengals. That's more than double all of the rushing yards for the entire Bengals team. 90 more yards of penalties. I mean, you're not going to win a game that way. 10 of them? Killing drives. Killing them. Over and over. The offensive line. Oh my God, we're going to talk about that a little bit more after, but geez Louise. One thing we did better than them at, rushing the ball. We had 62 total yards, they had 44. We're the best ranked rush defense in the league, and it makes sense. They had 1.8 yards per rush in this game. They ran it 25 times for 44 yards. I mean, we ran the ball 17 times for 62 yards, much better. Not a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but 3.6 yards per rush versus 1.8. I mean, we doubled them there. Other than that, like, first down's pretty even. Jets had 15. They had 18, so they're a little better. Total yards, we had 271. They had 277, so a little better. Neither team had a turnover. I mean, when it came down to it, it pretty much was a bad offensive game from both teams. Neither team was wowing the other one. The Bengals were able to do just a little bit more, and they didn't shoot themselves in the foot with penalties. And they had enough coverage to give Andy Dalton time in the backfield. He was able to stand back there and find throws. Sam Darnold, he found 271 yards just running around looking for stuff with horrible blocking all game long. And every once in a while, we'd have a big play and it'd be like, finally, something good happens. And the guy would drop the ball or would get called back for a penalty. And you can't win that way. And the Jets showed you exactly why. So let's move on to the player performances. And let's breeze through a lot of this because when it came down to it, we scored six points, two field goals. Nobody looked good on defense. Nobody looked good on offense. Sam Darnold looked okay. He finished the game with a 71 quarterback rating, throwing the ball 58%, 28, 48 throws, only 239 yards, only five yards per attempt. I mean, he threw the ball 48 times, which is a ton for him, for 239 yards, which is not impressive at all. But he had no coverage at all from his offensive line. Sacked four times, lost 30 yards, three of them by Carlos Dunlap, the other one by Sam Hubbard. It was just, it was bad. So Sam Darnold was all right. We didn't lose this game because of him. We lost this game because we didn't have an offensive line. 
We had a bunch of penalties, and we just couldn't try new things to find the Bengals' weaknesses. We know the Bengals have weaknesses. That's why they gave up 466 yards a game. That's why they're an 0-11 team coming into this thing. We weren't able to exploit any of them. Any of them for the entire game. So Sam Darnold did okay. Played a an average game. But it was a game-managing style game. He didn't take over, and he frankly wasn't really given the opportunity to do so. When it came down to it, the offensive line was the big issue. And I said last week, and I still I still probably believe that the best offensive line pairing for the New York Jets is Calvin Beecham, Alex Lewis, Jonathan Harrison, Tom Compton, and Brandon Shell. And that's what we went with this week. But they looked bad. Calvin Beecham, who had been really bad in the beginning of the year, got injured, came back, did a little bit better. Horrible this game. Penalties, penalty in the end zone, gave up a safety. Bad job there. Alex Lewis, he was all right. I mean, we were running up the middle to his hole frequently. Not many holes there. Again, you probably don't want to run at Geno Atkins over and over, but that's what we did. Alex Lewis, Jonathan Harrison, they did not take care of him. Move over further to the right. Tom Compton had his worst game. He's only played in two games this year, really. He had a bad game, multiple penalties, bad drive-killing penalties. We were, like, starting to move down the field, and he had a couple bad ones. A third and 20 where we just basically gave up and said, let's run the ball. Le'Veon Bell actually picks up a first down. Has to come back because Tom Compton dove over the dude's leg and hugged it. Like, you could do that kind of dive at his leg. You can't just go grab You don't hug him. That looks like a hold. For crying out loud, he's already on the ground. It was just useless. Things like that. Horrible. And then... All the way to the right, Brandon Shell, who we'd been used to seeing Chuma Adoga back there, being a little bit lost, looking young, and guys were getting past him, and I was like, eh, Chuma Adoga's still really young. Guys are finding ways to beat him pretty quickly. Brandon Shell's more of a veteran. Let's get him back out there. Carlos Dunlap, who had like four sacks or so on the season, he got three sacks in this game and shredded right past Brandon Shell time and time again. And we know going into this, we talked about it on the preview last week, the best players in their entire team are Darquez Denard, who shut the heck out Jamison Crowder. And then on the defensive line, it's Geno Atkins, who we kept running at, and it's Carlos Dunlap, who we didn't block. And it's like, as a fan of the game, these are the things that I know. These are the, like, right away go against, like, well, clearly those are the things. I'm not spending hours and hours of film study looking at it and making a game plan. But somehow, Adam Gase decided to do exactly the things that I would say not to do. The things that seem blaringly obvious. The things that other teams find blaringly obvious, move around, and get 466 yards a game. We didn't, and we got 271 yards. So offensive line, horrible. So many of those penalties from them. I mean, I've said it time and time again. I will beat it like a dead horse. The New York Jets need a new offensive line, as many new players to play the offensive line next year as possible, and as many high draft picks drafted to that position as possible because offensive linemen are expensive and teams don't like to let them go. So you end up overpaying for horrible offensive linemen like Eric Flowers or Bobby Hart. You don't want to be that team. You want to grow it in-house. Unfortunately, we've We've literally just ignored the position group entirely for like 10 years. We drafted Chuma Adoga in the middle of the draft this year. Wow, that's really going to move the needle. No, we got to go heavy on it next year. We got to draft tackles. We got to get a center. We got to get a guard. We got to pick up some free agent players. And we got to turn this thing around quickly. 
It can't be like a four-year rebuild of the offensive line. It's got to be a two-year rebuild. And these guys aren't going to be good right away. You're going to draft a rookie. You're going to put him there at left tackle or right tackle. And he's going to struggle at first because he's a rookie. He needs time. You can't you can't wait four years to do it and then let them develop. And then six years and all of a sudden Sam's like 31. And it's like, what, what happened? We had him on a rookie deal. We had an opportunity with this team. Le'Veon Bell and stuff, you're going to look back and be like, what, what were the Jets doing wrong? The offensive line, get one. So moving over to the running backs that were running through those holes that weren't created. Le'Veon Bell, talked about him and his patience. Sometimes he gets old. 10 rushes in this game, 32 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. Big issue in this one, his longest carry, 7 yards. In fact, that was the longest anybody on the team got. On 17 total carries, the longest run was 7 yards. You gotta have a run longer than 7 yards. You gotta be picking up 10, 15 yards on a run once or twice a game. If you ever want to really beat a team up, move the ball downfield. A lot of people are starting to get upset. You know, why is Le'Veon Bell carrying the ball 10 times? Why are we only running the ball 17 times? Whenever, you know, one, there are different ways you could have used Le'Veon Bell in this game, sure. And we probably should have. Definitely should have. But when Le'Veon Bell for the year is basically running for like a three-point-something average, 3.2 yards per carry in this one, you run that play three times, you don't pick up a first down. You end it. Nine yards, eight inches. So fourth and inches. Like, you can't, at least we're throwing the ball for five yards of play. Some weeks, seven yards of play, ten yards of play certain weeks. I mean, those are, that's picking up yards. We're going to run the ball every time for three yards of carry. It's like, <laughs> we're not getting big chunks. So all we're doing is, like, making it a little bit easier. Yeah, it's, it's better. It's second and manageable. It's third and manageable. And I love that. It definitely makes it easier on Sam Darnold. It makes it easier on the, the whole coaching staff to pick a play. But, you know, from time to time, again, you got to pick up a nice big gainer. You got to make a hole. You got to let a guy get through, and you got to hit it hard. When it opens up here and there, as quickly as it may be, also, no, it's there and it's gone. There's a hole. When it's open, hit it. Get through it. 62 total yards for the Jets in this game. 3.6 yards per carry for the team. Tom Montgomery had one for seven. Bilal Paul had four for 14. And then Sam Darnold ran twice for nine yards. So nothing really going on the ground. A really, really one-dimensional running game from the Jets in this one, going to Geno Atkins. When it came to receiving, Robbie Anderson, he had the best game, but he did have a drop early that could have had a touchdown, and it was a poorly thrown ball by Sam that Robbie had to come back for. If it was thrown perfectly, like we would have hoped, Robbie had a touchdown, no question. It wasn't, but he came back, and he got two hands on it, and you're a wide receiver. You're getting paid millions of dollars to catch the ball, so if you get two hands on it, catch it especially when in the end zone in a game like this where we need points and everybody's flat. Who knows? Maybe catching that would have gotten everybody excited, fired up. So that was the big drop for Robbie. Other than that, he had seven catches for 101 yards. He had a 20-yard long. Pretty good game for him. He's put back-to-back in. He's been scoring touchdowns and getting decent yardage for the last, like, four weeks. One of the two, either getting a touchdown or getting good yardage. And that's big for him. It's not a good year relatively speaking, for what he wanted. He's in a contract year. He wanted to get 1,000 yards and six, seven touchdowns, I'm sure. And he could have done it. You know, if, if all the chips fell right, our offensive line stayed healthy, blocked better, and Sam Darnold stayed healthy, it was possible Robbie would have gotten that. But in this year, it's just not happening. Good for him, though, 101 yards. He was by far the most effective wide receiver we had in the game. Jamison Crowder was rendered useless by Darkwise Denard. Two catches, eight yards. One of those was a minus one-yard catch. So a really lame game from him there, and he's supposed to be one of our guys that we can go to, rely on, security blanket, 
He's been quiet for the last couple weeks. We got to get him more involved. Ryan Griffin, he had five catches, but only for 30 yards. I mean, he doesn't. He had a couple big chunk plays against the Raiders as they left him wide open. But he's not a guy that really gets downfield and makes big plays. And again, it's another area of the game where it's like, all right, we're picking up small yardage there. I mean, that explains why you had so many 10-play drives for 34 total yards. Moving through it, Demarius Thomas, he's quiet. You know, he's good for like 30 to 40 yards a game, sometimes a little bit more, but he's not hes not really making huge difference. That's why I'm like, can we find other guys to get in there? Demarius Thomas is good. He's probably better than Barrios. He's probably better than Vincent Smith, but like, let's try somebody else and just see maybe they have a connection with Sam Darnold. Deontay Burnett had a good connection with Sam Darnold, and he was finding as much success and impact as Demarius Thomas is finding. Why can't we just try some different people and see if it works? And if it doesn't, go back to him. That's fine. Just give a drive to Berrios and let him do the whole thing. Give a drive to a couple other players. Let's see what they can do. Now, Berrios in this game, he had a horrible drop in the beginning of the game on a wide-open pass that hit him in the hands, and he jumped for no reason like Braylon Edwards used to, and he dropped the ball, and it killed the drive, and it killed all momentum that we didn't even really have from the flat fan base of the Cincinnati Bengals. The whole thing was a mess. You can bring it back to that one, blame it. A lot of people said that was the reason the Oakland Raiders never got going last week. Drop from Hunter Renfro, drop from Tyrell Williams. Well, this week, drop from Robbie Anderson, drop from Braxton Berrios, and we never got going. It was like the same thing, just switched. Daniel Brown, he had a catch for nine yards. Nothing special there. Le'Veon Bell, four catches, 35 yards. His long of that one was 11 yards. That was his biggest play of the game. And then, other than that, Ty Montgomery, one catch for one yard. Bilal Powell, two catches for four yards. I mean, you see those numbers, and it's like two catches for four yards, one catch for one yard. Crowder had two catches for eight yards. These are tiny little baby throws. We're just dinking and dunking. And the, I mean, I guess it's because we didn't have any time to throw. But if you could roll Sam Darnold out or block Carlos Dunlop, keep him upright in the pocket, like those cornerbacks couldn't really cover our receivers. If we just had time and, and could get those throws off. And if we could go to the middle of the field, their linebackers are not amazing in coverage. We should be able to exploit them. But you have to have time to do it. And that's why the offensive line is imperative to be fair. Defensively for the New York Jets, it was just not a great game. People were injured on and off. Jamal Adams got injured. Arthur Mollette got injured. Brian Poole got injured. We didn't get any pass rush on Andy Dalton, rushing four. We hardly ever blitzed. When Jamal Adams did blitz, who's our best blitzer recently, it looked like he was going 70 80%. Maybe he was a little bit too nicked up to be doing that. But he didn't have that usual Jamal Adams spark, and you know what I'm talking about. I say that Jamal Adams spark, you see that energy and that hustle in him. And when you watch the plays of him, it was like, well, it didn't look like he was going to get to him. It's like, but that's not Jamal Adams. That's not what he does. He's a guy that's high motor no matter what all the time. That's what makes him so special. And this week we just didn't have it. Jordan Jenkins, he's supposed to be our best best traditional pass rusher. He didn't get any pressure. The only sack in this game came from Steve McClendon. I mean, that defensive line, again, they stopped Joe Mixon relatively well. He had 44 total yards at 1.8 yards per carry. It just felt like they had too many medium to big gainers in this one. Even though like they only ended with 44 yards. It's just too many times they got decent yardage when they needed it. So that was all fine. But like the coverage was lame because we were in these zones and we weren't getting any pressure. So like, is it really Mollett's fault and Blashawn Austin's fault? Or is it just his own? He's finding the seams. Andy Dalton's a veteran, so he's finding the guys there. Defensively, like it just was a really lame performance. Nobody had any excitement. Nobody had energy. The team didn't seem juiced up, fired up. It didn't look like anybody was trying. And you want to see Jamal Adams like yelling at the guys, getting fired up, making a big play, getting a big 
hard hit, setting the tone. But there's no tone setting in this entire game. And I'd like to see Sam Darnold do that stuff too. I mean, you can't see everything because the cameras, especially on television and everything, they're not going to show you everything on the sidelines. So I'm not sure how much he was involved in that. But you'd like to see him as your leader just kind of step up in a game like this. Be like, guys, we are flat. I can feel it. I can see it. We need to get it together now. And find a way to inspire these people and be a leader and do that stuff. I'm not going to throw him under the bus too much. He may have done that for all I know. On the sideline, I just missed it. But this is a game where he needs to do that. Jamal Adams, the leaders of the team, need to find a way to lead and get the most out of these players. It's not all on the head coaches. You know, the reason the Ravens were so dominant on defense for years is not just because the coaches were great. Ray Lewis set a tone. Bart Scott was there and set a tone. Terrell Suggs, those players, they had expectations, and they let you know them. And it's on the players to do some of that. That's how you be great. You can't just put it all, oh, well, he's got a coach has to do a better job and get people fired up. You know what? These players are making millions of dollars. They're getting paid more than the coaches in most situations. They can do a little bit of that, too. They can inspire. They can get you fired up. It's not the coach that does the big huddle before the game where everyone's getting there and someone's doing a big speech, pep talk, getting them going. It's the players. And in-game, that stuff is very useful as well. There's really not much more I want to say about the defense. It's a lackluster performance all the way across the board. And this one, I, I don't want to just say, Marcus May, I feel like he's gotten better in coverage. We've not gotten beat on hardly any long passes this year, even though we can't get any pressure on the quarterback. We're not hurrying him at all. They're hardly getting it downfield. Marcus May is doing great as a center fielder, taking away the deep passes, but he's just gotten worse in tackling, right? I mean, his health is better than ever. Perfect, basically. His coverage, looking good, but his tackling is just lame. He's not a good tackler. Marcus May, right now, is a bad tackler on the New York Jets, and he's got to fix that. He's a safety. You don't have to be great, but you got to be good. The special teams are the special teams. Nothing great on kick returns. Didn't have a single punt return. Sam Ficken, two for two on field goals. His long was a 42. Punting, Lock Edwards. We have too many opportunities. We're, we're like at midfield punting the ball away. He's got to find a way to get the ball inside the five-yard line. The Bengals did that to us and got a safety. Two points off that. I mean, you watch games around the league. I've been saying this. Tons of kickers are capable of getting the ball inside the five. A lot of times on the two-yard line, the one-yard line special teams. We've got gunners down the field. We've got guys there. Lock Edwards has to have better ball placement. When he punts from the 50, it goes to the 10. He's like incapable or doesn't trust himself enough to try to get closer than that. We just, oh, we're just going to get a 10. Sometimes a punter can help you win a game. You saw the punter for the Bengals do it for them. That safety that put us on that one-yard line was huge. I mean, we had a penalty in there and then the penalty in the end zone, so the Jets did it to themselves. But getting him in that situation is huge. Lock Edwards does not do that nearly enough. He's got to work on his accuracy and his precision getting close. And he had a couple, like, little ducks, lame ones, where he could have kicked it further in this game. And I was like, hey, what is that? So consistency is big. But really, getting that precision and being able to get it inside the five. He's an average punter. He's punting okay. But he could be replaced. I mean, from what we're seeing this year, he's a free agent after this year. And I'm not going to say, we've had a couple bad punters. Ryan Quigley, I thought, was pretty bad. I didn't like him. So Lock Edwards was an improvement over that. But we could be better. And punters are, you don't want to say a dime a dozen, but like, where would we find Locke Edwards? We went to the Aussie punting school and found Tom Hackett and Locke Edwards and said, all right, you guys punt and battle it out, and we just pick the better one of the two, and he's average. Like, you just find a guy. There's a punting school, an academy in Australia. Just take more guys. Let's do another friendly competition. Find somebody better. It's probably getting to that point. 
Next section I want to touch on is father time, where after any Jets win, loss, any game, my dad on Monday or Tuesday sends me an email with his thoughts for me to read aloud to everybody here. And he's a great Jets fan. We watch all the games together. He's got a lot of good stuff to talk about, so I always appreciate him sending these in. Dave Burnham this week had, uh, you know, maybe some negative feelings about what he saw. So I'm going to read those to you now. This is Father Time, written by David Burnham. Just because we all smelled a Jets loss to Cincinnati doesn't mean we had to forfeit the game. Everything about the game was solvable. Penalties. I don't have stats, but the offense committed a lot of penalties. The O-line was being called constantly, and the Bengals weren't, which makes it worse. Drops. We had a bunch, and they always came at the worst times. Berrios's was a killer. O-line. Once again, they couldn't block the Bengals' pass rush. A very good Carlos Dunlop had four sacks, and the best player on the field was Geno Atkins, who is still a dominant interior defensive lineman. Hey, Le'Veon, why don't we run up the A-gap and let Geno hug you? Seven times. Now for the game planning. Greg Williams showed up with his worst game plan, but I'll give him a first half pass because Jamal was slowed and he's the Jets' dominant wildcard. Gase? Why did he keep running at Atkins? Why? The Bengals are the second worst team in the league on running plays to the outside, right or left. There was not one run to the outside. That's what every single team beat them with, to the tune of 166 rushing yards a game. I get it. Gase wanted to try outside the box and not attack the edges. But after a while, maybe at halftime, you need to adjust. All the Jets did that I saw was throw a run inside where the world knew to attack outside. Even Adam Archuleta, the color guy, said it three or four times throughout the game. Everything in life needs a plan B, just in case. Everything was solvable. I'm starting to think that Gase is too arrogant for his own good. I like to be positive, so I said the Jets beat the Dolphins Sunday with or without Jamal. Go Jets. End scene. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that one. I mean, he's really not giving a pass to Adam Gase or anything. And I like what he said, uh, bringing up that running to the outside, right or left. I mean, it's true. I read a bunch of stuff this week that's like, every single team has been running outside on the Bengals. And I think it was Michael Nani or one of the guys on Twitter said that the Jets didn't run a single time outside. Everything up the middle. So why? If Geno Atkins is the best player, I mean, my dad's right about that. Geno Atkins is, has been really good for a long time. He's a Pro Bowl player. One of the few ones on the Bengals team. And we're running at him over and over up the middle. How can you not switch it up? And as Dave said, the penalties, horrible. The drops were horrible. But other than that, you got to find a way to switch it up. And I like, I really like that last part. It's like everything in life needs a plan B just in case. And it, it really does feel like a lot of times Adam Gase, basically all the time, doesn't have that. It either doesn't work like the way we played against the Browns, the Eagles, the Patriots both times where we're just playing absolutely horrible. Or we play well against the Oakland Raiders, the Redskins, and it does work. But there are not a lot of games that we're losing and then coming back. And it's like, oh, we're not playing very well. Let's switch something up and do better. There are very few games that are like that. We either start hot and end hot or start slow and end slow. And in this game, it was obvious. Adam Gase didn't have a plan B. And why wouldn't he try something different? In a game that we desperately had to win to keep this season alive, it was pathetic that we came out with this performance, tried the same thing over and over again, 
and didn't find any success. I mean, that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Trying the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I apologize to you guys. I feel bad for the Jets fans who are sticking through all this. I mean, it's tough. You gotta remember, it's part of being a fan. A lot of fan bases suck. It happens all the time. We've sucked for a while. I like to remind Patriots fans that for the majority of the NFL's existence, the Jets have had more Super Bowl rings than the Patriots. From 1969 to 2001, the New York Jets had more Super Bowl wins than the Patriots did. I mean, just recently, they finally won. Very exciting. There were Xbox 360s in the living room when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl. I mean, very cool, right? But they were horrible for so long. They're an original team from way back in the day. Let's not act like everything over there has always been peachy and great. We could have spent 35 years reminding them that we've got Super Bowl and you don't. Ha ha, you suck. It's like, yeah, recently things switched. We got to deal with it right now. I think there are better days ahead. I really hope so. Hopefully sooner than later. It's not as bad as Cubs fans had it, Red Sox fans, Patriots fans even had it for longer than the Jets. But at a certain point, it's just like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to win. I've taken enough losses. I truly believe that I would appreciate, even a Super Bowl appearance, I would appreciate a ton. It would be it'd be really nice to get there and just remind myself that, yeah, on a good year, we can get there. AFC Championship game is best I've seen in my lifetime. Twice, and it was great. Maybe three times. I probably saw it when I was a kid in the 90s. Um, Vinny Testaverde before he went down, I think the season before. But either way, hopefully better days are ahead. And maybe it's this week against the Dolphins. I know most people don't really care about winning right now. They probably want to lose, get a better draft pick. But it's a division team. They have one more loss than we do. And they beat us the first time. If we lose to the Dolphins, they jump us in the division. And even though that means we get a better draft pick, it's kind of lame to fall short to the Dolphins, especially for Adam Gase, who just came from that team. I mean, they've basically been tanking. That means, like, Adam Gase left. They cut all their good players. Another guy comes in and is able to win more games than Adam Gase on his new team, where instead of cutting players, we signed players all offseason. I mean, that would be kind of a bad look. We played the Dolphins once and we lost, and it was one of those games, another team that was winless, I think they were 0-7 at the time, and it was like, how could we freaking lose this one? But again, you got to give credit to a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's not easily rattled, and Greg Williams isn't going to be able to trick him up. He's not going to make a bunch of stupid mistakes because he's been around the block, he's seen it all, just like Andy Dalton. In young quarterbacks, we do great. Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of chewed us up. we got to get pressure, but where? If Jamal Adams is injured, we're going to have a really hard time getting after him. Now, they do have a bunch. They traded Kenyon Drake. I was just told that uh, Kalen Balazs has put on IR. So they're like running down. I think it's like Walton is their running back. They're they're down to the to the bare bottoms here. But like their weapons, Devontae Parker stepped up. Mike Jasicki's been playing pretty well at tight end this year. You think he's a second year player? They traded away offensive linemen. They traded away Kenny Stills. They're not a great team. They beat the Eagles this week. That was awesome. They're better than people thought. They try hard. They try harder than the Jets do. They played harder against the Eagles than we we didn't give a shit playing the Bengals this week. In a game where like we we still had the thought that we could make the playoffs. And somehow we weren't able to harness it. The Dolphins, playing for nothing all season long, are like winning games and ownership is probably pissed. But you know what? Those guys at least have heart and they're putting it out there every week. So we can't take them for granted. At this point, how could we? We just lost to the Bengals. I can't imagine that this would be another trap game. We'd go in there and be like, oh, we got this game in the bag. We couldn't even beat the winless Bengals. And we lost the Dolphins already. 
So we got to take him seriously. We may not have Jamal. He's shaken up. He's got a leg or ankle injury that we saw happen in this game. He may be shut down for the year. I wouldn't blame the coaching. I wouldn't blame the front office if they wanted to shut him down because you want to keep him healthy. C.J. Mosley was just put on IR for the year. Smart. There's no reason to rush him back. I mean, I think at a certain point it was like maybe playing against the Ravens, his old team. If we're on a five-game winning streak and we have to win, he could potentially get us there. But now that that's over, all bets are off. Playoffs are away. There is a mathematical percentage chance the Jets could make it. But I'll tell you right now, spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. The Dolphins, you know, they, they try hard. They're not a super talented team in terms of players. And Adam Gase should know most of them very well since he just came from coaching there. We've played them already. They're a divisional team. We got to take them seriously. We got to win. Not because the draft positioning matters. Not because we're going to make the playoffs. Because these guys out there have to prove that they can play well. Who wants to sit there at the end of the year, just backing their way into a bunch of losses, finishing this thing 4-12? and 12? Like, I don't want to do that. Maybe you do. But if that's the case, you're listening to the wrong podcast. I want to win every game. We're 4-8 and eight right now. I'd love to end 8-8 eight and eight and not make the playoffs. Because 8-8 eight and eight is always better than 4-12. and 12. And find your team. Find the best teams in the NFL right now and the best players on their teams, the reason that they're winning. And tell me if they were drafted in the top five picks. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Dalvin Cook. I don't care what team you want to pick one. Which team drafted in the top five picks has really made the entire difference for the team and is the biggest deal on them? Maybe you can think of one. Lamar Jackson wasn't. It doesn't take drafting early to do well. It takes drafting smart, drafting the right players. And that's why Joe Douglas, our new general manager, is going to get it right. I'm not going to preview the Dolphins game too much more. We know the Dolphins well enough. We played them once already. We know what matters in this game. Whether you're going for draft positioning, whether you're going for pride and a win. It's a division rival. It's the last time we play him this year. We've only got a few games left. Let's enjoy what we can. Let's hope that we're back here talking about players playing well. Sam Darnold playing well. That it's not as negative as this one. This is probably the most negative podcast I've ever made. And I don't want to do it again. I'll be able to stay positive. If the Jets win, I'll be able to do a positive podcast. For sure. So that's all I got for this one. I appreciate you guys joining me. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Hopefully we win. Miami Dolphins, New York Jets win 27 to 18. I'm still believing. I gotta. Let's go New York Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. And this podcast was under an hour, so it was shorter. (laughs) 